Welcome to the Data Points Podcast. We're focused on the importance of data in a 21st century world. We discuss data-centric topics such as the fundamentals of data management and use, strategies for building buy-in within organizations, the crucial role that communities play in this important work, and so much more. My name is Amber Ivey, and I'm the director for the Center for Government Excellence at Johns Hopkins University. In this role, I lead a team that supports and coaches leaders across the Americas to build a data-driven public sector that fairly and justly uses data, research, and analytics to better understand complex issues, engage residents, and implement policy interventions that lead to equitable outcomes and transforms the standard of living for underserved residents. We know data forms the path towards becoming a 21st century city, but our conversation today will be taking a slightly different track. Data is also where innovation starts. It is the key to driving better results in cities, and we are here today to discuss what happens when data and innovation are used to improve government and the cities that they serve. I have an amazing guest for the audience today, and I'm so excited to talk to her about what we do with the data we collect, and more specifically, how we incorporate it with the community feedback we receive to build novel and innovative solutions for our city's most pressing issues. When a city experiences an emergency, Often the event is rich in data and it has been pivotal as many cities have navigated the last two years. I'm so excited to have Amanda Daflos, the Executive Director of the Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation, to join us here today at the Data Points Podcast. For almost seven years, you've been at Angelino and more than 20 years as a West Coaster. Can you share what excites you about now calling Baltimore home? Amber, first of all, thanks so much for inviting me to join you today on the Data Points podcast. Um, I couldn't be more excited to be here and couldn't be more excited to talk about um, really the role of innovation in government and, of course, how that connects to data, which is the crux of innovation, both in how uh, innovation often starts and also how innovation actually gets measured. I have been in Angelino for uh, almost seven years and, of course, spent the greater part of the last 20 years on the West Coast. But the truth is I'm from New York. And so I'm really excited to be back on the East Coast, reconnecting with people both professionally and personally. I'm super excited about Baltimore. I feel like Baltimore is already living up to its legend of being Charm City, both in the way people have welcomed us, but also in the way that that really it hosts guests and, and newcomers. I think that the history of art, the history of culture, and really the city's ability to take on challenges and have leaders at the forefront today that are young and really connected to really where government is going. So for me, that's some of what's been very excited about um, Baltimore. I know that I've been talking with my colleagues about some of the the other things uh, that have been happening with like reviving my New York wardrobe, getting away from no socks uh, every day at work in California to actually wearing boots and rain jackets and things like this, which which is a whole new uh, world for me, but definitely something that I'm enjoying. So it's great to be here. And I think that it's an exciting city that really has hold, holds a special place in the world of, of innovation, particularly government innovation. Thank you so much, Amanda. And like I said, I'm so excited to have you here today. I was just listening to you and you mentioned New York, but you also mentioned LA. Can you share about your career path and the experiences that led you to where you are today? 
Sure. So I, I started um, this new and, and I think really exciting role as the executive director for the Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation at Johns Hopkins about six months ago. And so we, we've had already a very exciting ride, which I know we'll probably get into. But prior to joining um, and really taking up the home as, as the person who'll get the chance to really build this new organization, I served as Mayor Garcetti's chief innovation officer in the city of Los Angeles and also served as the city's uh, so the city's first chief innovation officer and then the city's uh, sort of founder of the innovation team. The innovation team was founded in 2015 and um, I had the chance to really build out that team and build out the space of innovation for Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is, I hope everybody knows, the second largest city in America um, is a county. It is also the largest county in America. So it's, it's quite a place with a lot of really complex issues, and it was just truly a privilege to work on such a diverse portfolio of things over the course of my just about six years there. I spent 10 years at Deloitte Consulting prior to that, where I worked really in the public sector space, so I had the chance to work with about 30 different government organizations over the course of that 10-year period, including federal, state, and local most of my work was in the state and local space, so really touched everything from child welfare to child support to healthcare. I had the opportunity to work to really build the first uh, or one of the first health exchanges in the U.S. and one, one that's still running today. Traveled a lot, worked with a lot of incredible people around the world. Just was a, an amazing pivot to take a really a consulting mindset and bring that into a city and be able to build out a practice around innovation that is that is very method-based uh, and rooted, again, in sort of data, civic ingenuity, civic engagement, and really the people that make up cities. Amanda, thank you for giving us that update. I'm reminded of something we talked about before where you said, uh, one of your colleagues said to you, Amanda, you're always doing work that is both new and necessary. And I really feel like what you just discussed really talked about all these different innovative ways that you've interacted, not only in government, but also working in private sector to be a help to government, consulting and talking about the exchange and doing amazing things and the work that you did with COVID. So it's just amazing the incredible set of experiences that you have. It seems like the center you're currently running has a large charge. However, I want to dial into one more thing you mentioned, and that's really around the need of this work in community. We both worked in government and there's always been a need emerging in government, no matter what. Uh, and I've heard you mention a few times the importance of what it means to do this work for you. How do you think innovation can help to serve government when they're dealing with things like emergencies and what we've seen happen over the last two years? One of the one of the roles that I played in Los Angeles was uh, really driving a big part of the city's COVID response, and I think what was so interesting about that is that you know as the innovation sort of leader in LA, I, I was not the only innovation leader in the world that was sort of put into that seat. And I think what that told me is that you know in times of emergency, innovation sometimes is based on. Um, scarcity, emergency, need. We do things differently because we have to, not because it's comfortable or because we want to. And I think innovation, you know, sort of the role in government is when things, fortunately, we, we hopefully we rarely have an emergency at the scale um, of COVID, but when we do, it's really that new, sort of the new way of mind, of thinking and the ability to solve problems the ability to really structure a solution that I think innovators are actually very good at. The word innovation can mean lots of different things. I think public innovation is such a, you know, frankly, a, a loose term or a term that's very malleable. But at the end of the day, 
I think in cities, the way it plays out is that it's problem solving. And as you know, anyone that now has lived through the COVID pandemic or anyone that has lived through a fire or a policing emergency, all things that are the responsibilities of cities, this is a place where people who are problem solvers show up. And how we actually solve those problems, you know, that's some of that method piece that I, that I know I always talk about is, is what tools do you bring to the table to solve those problems? I think in government, you know, government's innovators, our role really is to help, you know, leaders solve the most complicated problems using this set of methods that we at the Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation are now teaching, partnering with cities to help really empower them to do, to do their own problem solving I'm in partnership with innovators, but really for everybody to be an innovator when they show up at their desk every day. I think that's the first time I've ever heard it explained that way. So I'm sure the the listeners are also loving to hear that. The fact that innovation really is grounded in problem solving. I think that takes away the ominous, like, oh, you need to innovate. You need to be creative. We just need to solve problems. And we're going to do that by thinking about things new in a new way. And that gives us impact. When you're thinking about the impact that you've had through problem solving, through being innovative, can you tell me a bit about what that has looked like for you, even if it's in the COVID example or other examples that you have? Absolutely. I I think for me, innovation is problem solving. And I think that the, the methods that we're teaching really are about taking what are really big issues sometimes and being able to break them down to to really kind of root cause problem. And I think a lot of times in government, the issues that government grapples with are not only complex, but they're also in service to everyone. If you think about private company, their user base is, is smaller. And they're sometimes able to even program their user base to say, oh, we want to you know, serve people of a certain age with certain demographic and so on and so forth. And so we're going to make our product this way. Government's user base is everyone. And that begins the complexity in some sense, but also the types of issues the government deals with just on a day-to-day basis impact the lives and livelihood of really, in our case, every American and every person that lives in our cities. So it in itself, I think, is complex, both in the issue and in the number of people that government serves with, of course, limited resources. There is certainly you know, a tax base. There's all these things that pay for things. But at the end of the day, budget is finite or is at least mostly finite. So it becomes really a question of what problem we're trying to actually solve. We tend to start with really big things. So if we were to think about policing, because Amber, you raised that, one of the parts of my portfolio is really around working with the Los Angeles Police Department to help them determine how to build. We started with how to build the police force of the future. And so, of course, the question there is, what does that actually mean? And the reason we started there was because we were able to really think about what does that actually mean. And so the police force of the future looks in terms of people's faces and in terms of languages. Um, it should look like Los Angeles and it should reflect the people that really the police department serves. So there's a question there that if you dig in further around, okay, well then what, what does the police department look like today? What should it look like tomorrow? And how do we get to tomorrow? I mean, it turns out that using data helps you actually realize that just like any organization, there are people coming in and people leaving a police department because of retirements, because of all kinds of reasons. And that simple, I shouldn't say simple, that complicated analysis let us really understand the, the, the ways that if we wish to be diverse, what should we do to actually maintain the diversity that the Los Angeles Police Department has? Because it actually, at the end of the day, is one of the most diverse police departments in the country. And the answer is look at who's leaving and look at who's coming in. 
And so if we want to keep something consistent, then we have to be able to really think about that uh, some sense mathematically, but also um, be able to actually think about it in terms of how our process works in a police department and how our hiring messages are going out and what kinds of faces are we telling people work in the police department. The pictures and the, the philosophy have to also match, or match the math. And so we were able to take this really big question again, what does the police department of the future look like? and break it into bite-sized questions like that. So of course, one is around diversity, another is around skill sets. And so if we think about kind of the skill sets we want police officers to have, you might think about how you ask a community what kinds of things you think a police officer does. And so you might or might not be surprised to hear that when I got up and asked that question over and over and over again, most people, no matter what part of Los Angeles, uh, we asked that question and said, give tickets. And it turns out that most police officers would estimate that about 80% of their job is spent in the community talking with community members. They're walking around, they're hanging out at places to try to build conversations. It's really that 20% that becomes, you know, kind of what else are you doing? Most police departments want their police officers to be building community so that you're preventing issues and you're building community. How then do we start to think about what skill sets it takes to build community? And then how do we recruit people that have those skill sets? so that we're focused more on the day-to-day work and also focused on what we aspire for, I think, probably all police departments to be doing. It's really in that 20% where they're dealing with issues or problems, right? Most of the time they're in the community, 20% of the time, maybe, they're out in the field dealing with phone calls and issues and, and violence. So it starts to become this, again, big question, taking data to actually figure out the root cause and then being able to now boil it down to what should we go do about it? And what does the community say we should go do about it? And what then processes do we need to change, get rid of, or begin to be able to actually have innovation? Thank you so much, Amanda. Like to hear how you all went through that thought process, to think about how you were asking questions to help to dig into those problems, using the data, really trying to make that police department a model for everyone else to look to. I wonder how have you used examples like this one to really drive the work and the future work in the Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Absolutely. I think that the Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation really has, um, it's a moment. We are inheriting sort of an amazing legacy of work. And if I think back to my career, starting back you know, 20 plus years ago, I sort of showed up with this idea of doing public sector transformation work. And I think the most common answer I got was, what are you talking about? And my, my idea back then, my pursuit was really to be able to help government work better. And there were, you know, people doing this. There were people doing this at places like Deloitte Consulting, places like Accenture. There were think tanks, but it was really spread out. And there was no sort of like big investment, if you will, in thinking about the method and thinking about what it takes to build a community of people that were doing this. And if I think back to when I then started with the city of Los Angeles as the the city's I team director, I think I was number six in terms of a formal, you know, person who had this title in the world. And a lot of that is is really credit to our funder, our partner, Bloomberg Philanthropies, who I think put a stake in the ground and said, government transformation is a thing, government innovation matters, and we should really be supporting cities most notably in this work because cities really are where the rubber beats the road. You get water in your faucets because of cities, you get lights in your house because of cities, you get air that's clean because of the federal government in partnership with cities. So it really all comes down to delivery at the city level. 
putting innovation leaders in cities is a place where you can now start to actually change lives. If I think about sort of the moment we're in right now and the opportunity for the Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation at JHU, it really is about building on this legacy of what has been about 10 years of work where that stake went in the ground and said, this matters in cities. We're going to build programming. We're going to build a method. We're going to learn about it. We're going to bring people like me and people like my colleagues around the world now on board to try to actually innovate government. Um, and so BCPI is what we call ourselves. We have really this special moment, but really a task to now scale this and to say, what else is government innovation? Not only what else is it, but how do we actually give people tools around the world to be doing things like what we were able to do in Los Angeles, like people have been able to do in Mobile, like people are doing in lots of other cities around the country that have taken the lead and put a stake in the ground around government can and should be doing things better every single day. So one thing you just said made me really think back to why I came to government. You said like you had this idea of like trying to make government work better. And I too had the same idea years ago where I was like, there has to be a better way. There has to be a way to improve government. And I came to government with that whole idea. We're two women who are leading in different ways in public sector. We both have worked inside of government. We both have worked outside of government, nonprofit, government, public sector, private sector, we've been around these, a few different places. And I would be remiss to not mention that it is um, Women's History Month. And as I'm sitting here talking to you and hearing about all the amazing work that you're doing on the ground with the work that you did in LA and other places, as well as now here in Baltimore, I want to hear from you. Why do you think it's important for us to, one, have uh, an acknowledgement of this month and what that means for women who are like you and I who are doing this work on the ground? Well, Amber, um, I don't know if you know this about me, but one of the things I had the chance to, to do both at Deloitte and then in the city of Los Angeles was actually, speaking of firsts and new necessary, start the first women's event for Deloitte. And it, believe it or not, all these years goes on for state leaders and state female leaders in the state of Washington. And I did that with all men, um, which is something to note. And then went on to work and actually drive Mayor Garcetti's, a big part of Mayor Garcetti's gender equity initiative, along with one other incredibly remarkable woman in LA. You know, I think at the end of the day, like for me, problems don't get solved with one voice. Problems get solved with many voices. And those voices really have to be representative of the places that we're trying to solve these problems. At the end of the day, women are somewhere on the order of 50% of every population. And those numbers vary because people have different identities. But at the end of the day, I think the, the thing that matters to me the most is really having more voices in because that's where you actually get really the most representative solutions. For me, if my goal is to make government more efficient, more effective, and really deliver the services to the people that it's designed to serve, that means actually hearing from the people that government is serving. Unlike a private sector organization where people choose what they like, at the end of the day, you really only have one local government, one city you live in, one federal government you get services from. And so that means that our government actually has to be designed to serve everyone. Women have a very special seat at that table, but there are certainly many other ways of looking at diversity. And for me, it's, it's really about making sure that the right voices are at the table to, to build the right solution. It will never be perfect because things are always changing. And I think that that's just the truth about our populations. If you consider what's happening in the world now, three weeks ago, nobody would have expected that this week, one million people would have been evacuated from Ukraine and going other places. But the reality is the people who are going to accept 
those Ukrainian people, their entire existence is about to change and their government is going to change and their government now has to respond. Our government has to respond to the people who will now be living in their communities as a result of all the atrocities that are playing out there. It is also malleable. And the truth is, women's voices really matter and have to be at the table, Um, not just at the table, but speaking at the table. For me, that's a pursuit. It's not easy. It's never been easy. I'm sure I, like you, have been the first in many rooms. and And there are a lot of other firsts in many rooms. And I think it's just always about having the courage to, even if you say like one word, the next time you'll say two words. The time after that, you'll say three words. And then before you know it, you're uh, you're running the tables and leading the show. Amanda, you just said so much. And I wish I could do a podcast on about 10 of the different things you just mentioned. Everything you mentioned from being the first to have a woman's event at Deloitte. That is amazing and something I didn't even think about because I've always thought of companies that are outside of public sector as being more innovative, right? And thinking about, oh, they've already figured that out. We just need to bring this in government. But that's not necessarily true. And then the work that you've done with gender equity in the city of Los Angeles, calling that to the table, being a woman, often the only woman in a room, advocating for women, advocating for the work, what is happening right now in Ukraine and the atrocities that are happening there. And as I say that, just sending love to those who are in Ukraine right now. Just so many things were listed that I I just feel full. And what I do want to say one day, well, maybe we'll do a podcast on a few of those other subjects. I would love to invite you back. But before you leave, I want to ask one final question. What is the one thing you want city leaders to know in this moment, in this time, in this month? What should they prepare for? What should they be thinking about? Any words of wisdom for folks who are doing this amazing work? If I have 400 words uh, that, I, that I would share or 400 hopes, I, I would say 400 hopes um, versus wisdom, which is that I think we're in you know, kind of a, a unique position at this moment in time with a lot of the, the federal sort of priorities for local government, federal recognition after COVID of you know, really business getting done at the, at the federal level, but at the local level, and, and probably most importantly, at the partnership moment between federal, state, and local and so I think, you know, my ambition for government at the moment, my ambition for BCPI is that we can really support local leaders in those wide-ranging conversations and encourage leaders to not do business as usual in this moment in the ways that they've always been doing business for their constituents. Because the truth is, the moment that we're in really calls on leaders to do things differently and to actually apply rigor to analysis about the, some of the, the things that we have, like homelessness, right? There's rigor that can be applied there. There are new solutions that can be dreamed up and deployed, even if it is in a pilot fashion. And so I think, again, my, my hope and my aspiration for government is that it pauses and recognizes the moment, both because of money and because of attention and because of awareness of local government in a way that's more acute than it's been, certainly in my lifetime. Everyone knows who their mayor is right now. Everyone knows who their public health officer is right now. Everyone knows who the president is and everyone knows who their governor is. I remember in Ubers and I remember in lifts, and I remember in bars and restaurants always saying like, who's the mayor? And most people wouldn't know. Coming out of COVID, I think that that is wholly different. I really hope that we don't lose that moment to, to think differently and also engage our communities 
while they know who we are and while they remember how influential they can be in the choices that we make as government. Um, and for BCPI, we are um, here to take ideas. We are incredibly aspirational. We have a remarkable team of people that I am assembling in service to this work. And I look forward to hearing from public sector leaders on what's working as well as what's not working, because really sometimes what's not working is actually where the best ideas show up. Follow us at Public Inno. Take a look at our website. Definitely encourage everyone to check us out, follow us and, and reach out because the best programs come from those collaborations. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. For those who are listening, if you would like to learn more about the center, please visit publicinnovation.jhu.edu and you can learn more about our GovEx programs at govex.jhu.edu. Thank you again, Amanda, and thank you all for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast and keep making the world a better place through data and innovation.